internet. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. My name is Matthew Kroll. And surely there must be a double standard for this kind of predicament. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, The French Dispatch. I was going to say, this is uh, uh, the only podcast about movies about the written word. Right? Right? About a f- <laughs> Fictitious magazine, yeah, based on the New Yorker. Yeah, based on the New Yorker, a, lo- a loving portrait of the New Yorker magazine. So, sure, yeah, yeah. I guess we're the only one. We're the uh, only ones. When did this movie come out again? <laughs> uh, last year. No, this is a. Uh, I, you and I were texting back and forth about this one, and you were like, "Should we do something topical like the Adam Project?" And I was like, "No, let's do something that nobody will listen to because the movie's been out for a while, sure. uh, and it's currently available only on HBO Max." Uh, to and- which I was ecstatic and agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and are we uh, doing podcasting right? Is that are we doing it? Are we doing? It is right? this it? Well, I think so. I, I, there's. I think there's a lesson to be learned from the film, but it depends upon your reaction to the film, which honestly, I have, n- like, it has been a while since I've been like, I have no idea. I have no, I have zero idea. For the and people it- at home, I'm doing like a spooky <laughs> finger arm dance right now on the camera. Uh, yeah. How are you, Matt? I- I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. I live the dream. Hey. I'd like to say something to our listeners real quick before right. we begin. All right. Um, well, first and foremost, do you want me to pretend I'm one of the listeners, or I, I mean, you're listening to me technically, so I guess that does make you're sort of riding that line. You're All on. Right. You're on, you're a proto listener. All right. Well, you're, well, you're hearing it first. The, you know, like you know, just you're actually wait. It. You're the first listener. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, but you already know this because we just discussed it. Next week, the episode after this one. Uh, will be our Oscars Spectacular. Mm. However, comma but, um, there, it airs on the Sunday. We can't record late on the Sunday, so you will be getting your episode late night Monday. That's right. It is going to be a super spicy late night take on the Oscars mm. on the 28th? 28th, I believe is correct, yes. Uh, will we be offering a refund to our listeners pro rata for the delay uh, of their episode. Absolutely. For yep. every dollar you've spent on the only podcast about movies up to this point, yep. we will be offering a full refund of, let me check those multipliers, what they could possibly be, zero American doll hairs. Ooh, um, fancy. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's one announcement. Second announcement, I'd like to uh, shout out all y'all for either spreading the word a little bit or being being very kind on on the interwebs. I've noticed upticks in our in our metrics ever so slightly, and it's very very nice. So yeah. thank you for that. Uh, if you like what you're listening to and you haven't said hello, please email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail Tell us what movies you're watching, what you think of the French Dispatch or the Batman or Oscars or you know what your build is in Elden Ring. I know Shahir really <laughs> wants to hear that. I, I you know look, I've seen a lot of people uh, talking about Elden Ring recently. I've watched a lot of clips. Yep. Uh, so I'm like, but it it the barrier to entry seems high to me. Like it feels like it's going to take a while to like really get into it. The barrier of entry is only your own mind. Wow. It's 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 the uh, it's, it's, it's getting into the very into the, high barrier to entry. Well, <laughs> well, are you saying that because you're very smart or because you're very dumb? I don't know. I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, please email us in. We'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, we haven't asked for this in a while. Drop stars on that Apple app if is that people the most are still doing thing? that. Is it, is it, I actually, you know, like, to be honest with you, I have not, you know, look, we lead busy lives. We have switched our <laughs> platform over to Art19 
from SoundCloud a while ago. I have not been keeping up with the actual statistics. There was a time when I would just, I, I had an app on my phone and I could just glance over it every now and again and I would see where we were at and Since I would see when we were rising, see when we were falling. I would also see when episodes, particular episodes were doing well and particular episodes were not doing well. I have no idea anymore what's so, happening so, out there. Is anyone listening to us? Maybe. Uh, well, you are. You're listening to me and I'm listening to you. So okay, technically okay. the answer to that is yes. No, uh, since uh, being hosted over by uh, Nebula via Art19, uh, we have seen an uptick. Uh, I don't know if that's... Actually, ooh, this is the assignment. If you are a new listener mm-hmm. and let's say you found us through the ad from the um, one of our Nebula Curiosity Stream ads over on Extra Credits where I mentioned the podcast. And Shahir's a bean person now. Yay. That's fun. Uh, let us know that. I'd just be curious if, like, if you saw that, heard it, and you've stuck around for longer than an episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The, Very you... different content here on the only podcast about movies. Can I ask, before we move on to our first email, uh, is, does my bean have long hair and a uh, beard? Your bean does not have a beard, but the hair was longer. Okay. You've seen it. I sent you an image. I, it was a while ago. I, I, I There's been a couple recall. others. Um, okay. Oh, really? I'll, I'll, I'll dig up the I'll dig up the images. It, most of them is just us in various poses of fighting. Okay, nice. Um, there's one. The last one we were in a wrestling ring where the where the ropes were celluloid. Oh, shit. Uh, I have not seen any of these. I'll send them your way. (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, uh, someone who did take the time to email us in, I much appreciated after our episode about Batman, oh, the Batman, uh, with the Gerard Mulligan, was Dotun, who wanted to chime in on something that I said uh, (laughs) on that episode about uh, Batman and uh, vigilantism. Vigilantism. Vigilantism? Vigilantism. I suddenly turned to Daffy Duck in the middle of that. (laughs) Vigilantism. Howdy, y'all. Apologize for the, at the top for this long-ass email. Uh, oh, I just no. wanted to comment on the point that Shahir was making about Batman's arc in the movie. Now, I'm going to try... Uh, this is just me stepping aside here. I am going to try and read this without any spoilers if you haven't seen the Batman yet. Uh, but we will get into kind of just the overall thoughts of what the, what the Batman is about. Okay. I don't think this movie is about the ideological battle between the Riddler versus Batman. Instead, I think it is much more focused on doing a character study of Batman and his flaws, and he's using the Riddler to embellish those flaws. I understand and agree with the the points that this movie doesn't do the mystery as good as Seven or the Underworld as Chinatown, but I think those have to land harder since those are the core mechanics of delivering the themes of those movies. I feel like this movie is instead using current popular culture reading and understandings of who Batman is to land its thematic points. Batman cannot accomplish his goals of changing the city with vengeance and condemning the people um, he's trying to save is uh, shown earlier in the movie, i.e. first a big fight with a skeleton crew mm-hmm. um, and uh, certain actions, uh, certain uh, words that he says to uh, other victims of crimes during those scenes. Now, do I think this is perfectly executed throughout the movie? No. But I truly feel like the movie's main focus was diving into the character of Batman and relied on uh, other movie homages to build up the point. But I don't think I should live or die by those homages, uh, homages, but instead what it is trying to say about being Batman. Thanks for the episode and keep up the good work. This was uh, uh, obviously in response to uh, a couple of things, points that I think I was the one uh, making. I, I did. So. I, I do want to point out that this might make it sound like I didn't enjoy the film. I did quite like the Batman. I thought it was very, very If you good. want to hear how much Shahid <laughs> didn't like the Batman. Yeah. Listen to the Batman episode. Listen, go back and listen to that episode. Thank you so much, Dotan. That, that's that's super. That's super nice that you wrote in. And uh, 
Yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think that was my point. Yeah, I think uh, as, is, as well, yeah. or like a modify. Like I, I was trying to glean onto that, and I think you said it honestly better than I did. Yeah. Um, that th- uh, it's it's a Batman movie. It's yeah. it's focusing on the Batman, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Batman, the, the titular character, the Batman. Yeah. Um, and therefore, it's not trying to be Seven and not trying to be Chinatown. It just is taking things it likes from them. So, um, in, in this respect, I think we have been going back and forth, you know, on the internet as the movie has reach the cultural milestone there is this this sort of uh um point that is being made about like how does this stack up against the dark knight for example mm-hmm. which is arguably being you know the um you know placed upon a pedestal as one of the great superhero movies if not the best batman movie and does this sort of uh tackle that and i and I, I think while that is facetious it is sort of like an interesting just a sign point to discuss about how we engage with this film so don't take it as though like saying you know, one is better than the other is like a definitive uh, ranking system. It's just the kind of way to discuss how that's actually different from previous iterations. Well, so the thing is, you and I come to ranking systems very differently. If Mm. I was to say, as of right now, in this current moment, if we were doing a top Mm. 10 Batman Mm. episode, right, which uh, I don't want to do, um, that then if I said that the the Batman is number one, and I'm not quite sure if it is personally, but if I had said it right now, that would have been my definitive number one. You you always say that these numbers can shift and be nebulous and et cetera, and, and that's a way to look at it. But what I like about sort of lists is they're they're not immutable. Like they're 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 immutable in the in the moment. If I say a movie is number one at that time, 100% for that a, a amount of time around that, that is true. But my, I change as a person as I grow up. Other movies get, you know, different, get released, etc. that might make you think of another thing. And the ever forward march of time always, most times, will either make you double down on loving the old thing because that's what you always loved or you'll like the shiny new thing so much that you might not be thinking about the old thing as much. So, so are you saying that it's permanent for a second? It's permanent <laughs> for as long as the zeit in the moment or the zeitgeist of the list itself being done. Wouldn't it just be easier to say it's impermanent then, and then it's nebulous? No, because then why do it? It's, it's pointless. Well, it's not pointless because it just defines a, a, a general sense of where you're coming from, and it's subjective. In a moment, it's not subjective in that moment, but it does really? over time. Things get switched around. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, why are you making the list? Otherwise, why are you being like? Because you, perhaps you're asked to make the list by your snobbish co-host. But that's the point. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you could the, be asked to make a list for a number of reasons, none of which have anything to do with definitive, like putting something on a definitive uh, ranking, right? Like you could be but, asked but, to make a list just because you're on a talk show, or you're you could be asked to make a list because you are writing the, col- a the colloquialness of-, of a top ten thing <laughs> is ranked in order of best, or, or actually, if you're reading from ten to one, worst right. to best. Right. That is colloquially what a top ten list means. I, I guess my point there. And I can we, make a grocery list, and we, it's not like the broccoli is we, better we've than the steak from the Bat- tips. We've diverted from the Batman for a second, but for example, the best picture, <laughs> and uh, the, the Oscars is coming up, and the Oscars have this place in our cul- have a foothold in culture that suggests that one movie, you know, there's one movie to rule them all. And when I see that in every year, I whenever at the minute, the second that it is announced, I go, "That's interesting." I don't necessarily agree with it. Well, that's interesting. I maybe I do agree with it. Like it doesn't like I don't look at it as though that well that's definitive because they've said it. You know, I go, well, okay, yeah, that's what this person, you know, these group of people thought was best picture, but that doesn't make it the best picture. 
right? Like that doesn't. It doesn't. It depends on how much stock you put in the Oscars. <laughs> but it doesn't. Like I. But there's no metric for Best Picture that is like you know it quantitatively you know rigorous, right? Well, yeah, but it, it's almost like Shahir, everything is made up. But we make it up so hard. We <laughs> believe so much but, that all of the fairies get their wings, and that or is that clapping? I don't remember. And uh, it it makes things real for for a second we're forming we're forming our own reality we're surfing it to its maximum potential or just straight into the toilet all of the time depending on which side of the coin you happen to fall i'm gonna go straight into the toilet and uh and then i will just mention uh inter- and going back to the batman um uh Dotun, uh kind of mentioned this i do actually agree that um personally i uh am am negotiating the relationship that the movie has to its um, particular character title, which has a long storied history in cinema, versus it being a standalone movie unto itself. And uh, because the film for me references very heavily uh, David Fincher's Seven, you know, like in the notebooks, in the actual crime itself, in the way that the mystery is, in the aesthetic of the movie itself, I will look at it in relation to Seven because that is a movie it's riffing on directly. Um, and, and in that respect, it, it doesn't quite live up for me. But I think, but I also do think that. You know, simultaneous things can be uh, are true as well. That it is quite a good Batman film. Um, in in in, reg- but then I get into this sort of other situation, which is that okay, then if we're going to shift the metric over from movie unto itself to respective Batman film, I still think, and I will still contend that despite the aesthetic, um, the evolved aesthetic nuances of. Matt Reeves' Batman, which I actually think is a better-looking film, better—it's a better-looking Batman film. I will say, I do—I still will think that The Dark Knight is a better Batman film as well. Well, well you're, you've already—you've already compartmentalized and put things into boxes. The second you're like, well, comparatively to Seven, to this, Seven yeah. is better because of like you're you're doing it in the reverse. Yeah, I'm like, doing it. I'm doing it all, and I'm just looking at those terms. But I still—I still think it is a very good, very good film. Shahir hates the Batman. That's what, <laughs> if Jarrah was here, he'd back me up. Yeah, he would. <laughs> um, but we're not talking about the Batman today, though we have been for the last 10 minutes. Uh, we are here to talk about the French. I keep wanting to say the French connection. Every time I'm like, oh, the French connection. Like, William Friedkin would like a word. Talking about. The French dispatch. Um, Could I? Yeah. Well, okay. Do you want to read out the IMDb synopsis? I do, because I didn't know what this was before I watched it. Oh, wow. Did you know it was a Wes Anderson movie? What was that? Did you know it was a Wes Anderson movie? I did. I had heard that. Okay. A love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. So the challenge I had with this one, again, it is out. Uh, it, it, it was. It came out during the year last year. I was not able to see it because uh, it came out theatrically, and I wasn't going to the movie theater. Sure. Uh, but I caught up with it on HBO Max just a few weeks ago, and uh, you know, spoilers for my thought. But I've I've already said this on the podcast. I absolutely. Uh, Adored this thing. I have watched it three times since uh, since a couple of weekends ago, and every time I delight in this movie. Um, but there's some there. Are, I felt like there were triggering words in that in in that synopsis, and I was like, I don't know how Matt's going to react to this film. <laughs> <laughs> there were certain triggering words in that synopsis, and I was like, I'm real. And and to me, that was like what, part what of those the, words. What was that? What were the words? A love that? letter to journalism was yeah, like yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. was like the 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 big catch-all phrase and then i think if i was to be 
presumptive about your particular tastes, I would think, uh, and this is this is just this is not you personally, but I think I have observed over time that people's response to Wes Anderson's particular brand of cinema, which we could argue is almost a genre unto itself now, I would say it's that is fairly correct. divisive. Which is that? Which is to say, I think most people agree that it is well crafted, but it seems to fall into a camp of this is not for me or I love it. It doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a, a sort of middle ground with Wes Anderson. And I will say for myself, uh, uh, Rushmore was my first introduction to, to Wes Anderson. It was a formative movie going experience as in probably one of the top five movie going experiences of my life that made me fall in love with cinema. And I have watched his films in real time since then, as in, uh, you know, when they come out, I go see You don't see watch them. with double speed? Or, I watch, or... uh, yeah, and, and, you know, like, uh, The French Dispatch is the first one I haven't been able to go and see at a theater, which made me very sad. So I, I, I wanted to preamble that, and then I do want to read uh, uh, an IMDb review. Oh, wow. Which, uh, <laughs> is it yours? It is not mine. Uh, <laughs> it is, although the title could be me, okay. uh, because the title is Cinema Clown, uh, who wrote this in December of 2021. <laughs> uh, this is it. Wes Anderson films are not for me. I couldn't care. I just couldn't bring myself to care for anything that happens in this film or for any character who inhabits this story or for any actor who is part of its ensemble or for any of the stylistic choices the director makes. A Wes Anderson film at first looked wonderfully quaint and quirky to me and I've given them the benefit of doubt over the years, but not anymore. This is it. His films are not for me. The French Dispatch is one of the blandest films I've sat through and is arguably the worst film of the year and certainly the most disappointing. Fans of the filmmaker will have a bit of time with it than I did and, I, and may even find it del delightful and amusing, but for me, this was an absolute chore from start to finish that also affirmed what I've known for a while now. Wes Anderson films are simply not to my taste and I'm perfectly okay with that. It was actually a very well-written review, I will have to say. Sure. Um, That's nice. So it I was, was very me. curious. I was Cinema Clown. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unmasked. Yeah. No. Um, well, so let's 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 back up a little bit. Let's okay. go to those triggering words. Uh, a story about journalism or a love letter to journalists. I, how do I put this? <laughs> this is a movie that uses the journalist trope as a framing device mm -hmm. uh, for short stories, for lack of a better term. Um, and the, while the maggot, like, while, you know, a minor spoiler or whatever, but the, you know, the editor of the magazine uh, played by Bill Murray is sort of like the person who's like, you know, getting the last issue together that lo and behold, they don't know, even though you know this, he, he passes away in the very beginning and then they have to put the, their, he's not cutting anything out of the episode, yada, 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 yada. Um, maybe because it is Wes Anderson and the journalism isn't the point, the, the wacky characters and or situations are the point. It's not saying, yay, yay, rah, rah, look at journalism, woohoo, look at the heroes we are. It's showing, it's showing sort of, and, and, and it's not showing like the tedium of it. I think I've talked about it before in either spotlight or like something else where it's like, and now they're going through boxes and they're going through boxes. That's where the real work happens that I want to see. Or they're talking in a room and arguing. This is actually like, the, we're, we're living the news stories that they are reporting on, that they are talking about. 
We're seeing those in, I guess, uh, real time, not at times two speed. So uh, it did not bother me in that angle of this uh, for whatever reason, and that's how I've sort of squared that circle. That having been said, um, I wrote a thing in my notes, and I said it, I mumbled it, and then Jamie was like, what? And I said it again, and it, the, more, the second time I said it, it made more sense. I said, oh my God, he's gone full Burton. <laughs> Mm, referencing I, I, Tim Burton. Yeah, I know. I, I know who you're referencing, and I and, and I, I wonder what that means. And it, well, it means that the particular ingredient set uh, of of what makes a Wes Anderson movie no longer it's it's no longer spicing up a different genre, or it's no longer like you know adding flavor to a text at all. It's just all his text and all or subtext or whatever you want to say. Actually, there's probably no subtext here. Like it feels very textual one way or the other. Hmm. I I I have to I, you never go full burden. Just don't. <laughs> I, I think that way lies ruin. I too found it very hard to latch onto anything in this movie. Um but I also didn't <laughs> if my opinion of this film was exactly what I'd like the earth to get to at least within my lifetime it was purely a carbon neutral footprint like it, <laughs> I, I I did not <laughs> I, I could not like there was never a rise or fall in emotion and if there was a tinge it would do something else to knock it back onto this like just sort of straight line there were great moments in this film the art direction is wonderful um but i feel like it's not whimsy i don't know what to call it but like the constant state of the anderson verse like makes me not feel like there's any stakes even when hyper serious stakes are being shown to me in a possibly dramatic way mm -hmm. um and so i could not i could not latch on i didn't dislike my time but i found myself questioning my emotional state more often than just sitting back and enjoying it mm -hmm. i was like Normally, any film makes me feel something, and this film didn't, maybe with the possible exception of the third story. The Roebuck Wright? Yeah, with, um, with Jeffrey uh, Wright. Yeah, with Jeffrey Wright, which was very, very good, um, and we can get into that sort of later, but like... I don't know. It, 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 and, I, and I liked the conceit. I liked the way the three short stories were buttoned up. It's kind of an anthology. Not an anthology. What am I thinking? What's the Portmanto. word I'm thinking of? What was that? Portmanto. Portmanto? Yeah. Like, um, but, like, I, 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 I like, I'm a fan of the sketch comedy show The State. And something the state did, along with Kids in the Hall a little bit, and, and sometimes the whitest kids you know back in the day, was they connected their sketches. They're, they they sort of had a moment between them that sort of made the, like a weird thing about one thing and a weird thing about another thing kind of connect. And I liked that sort of element here of a connective piece of tissue being the the French Dispatch magazine uh, and, and Bill Murray talking to each of these writers uh, about their piece before moving on to the next one I thought was a good and nice and clean and fun way to get between these stories. I just didn't care about any of the stories. <laughs> um, even though they looked really pretty, that's that's where I'm at. It's all it's all neutral, baby. I'm gonna have a hard time discussing this film <laughs> because 
my opinion is so milk toast yeah. that I I can I, I was I was dreading this podcast because I'm like, what am I gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. I I, I wanna I wanna. Not not attack or dissect or anything like that, but I want to kind of come. Please back to, do. I have no emotional connection whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, to say it uh, out, like I have certainly with Wes Anderson films, I have certainly felt that way, uh, which is that there are certain of his like we've done Isle of Dogs on this podcast, mm-hmm. and and that is a movie where I where I go, eh, it's 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 pretty, but it's you know like it 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 didn't quite register for me, and I think the way. Um, it should have been. And, and I very much liked Isle of Dogs, if I remember correctly. Um, um, I can't. I can't recall your opinion on it, to be honest with you. In the moment, I believe I liked it. Go back and listen to that episode. Maybe I'm wrong, but like <laughs> in my memory of it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a fun movie. We had Patrick Hosmer on for it. Yeah. Um, and I think I liked it because, much like sort of Fantastic Mr. Fox territory, like that whimsy mm-hmm. in an animated setting, like kind of works for me still. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something else when it's not that. And also, fuck, why is part of this movie a cartoon? I, 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 oh, uh, that, that bothered you? By that point, yes. I was just like, ah, wow. oh, okay, car chase, huh? See, it's a see, so this now. is that thing which is the divisive thing, which is that I think from, so my experience of watching it was just utter delight. Like, Good. utter, uh, like, I can't, like, so I have this thing, and I remember, um, I remember, it, it happens very rarely, but like, when I'm watching something that delights me so much that I kind of squirm, like I'm sitting in my seat squirming at how much I'm enjoying this thing. And uh, uh, this was one of those experiences where like every time I watched that, I was just squirming with delight at how much I, I was in, not just loving the experience, but I was in love with this movie. And, and I was in love with every choice it was making. And I almost found it, overwhelmingly delightful and like so when when they get to an animated car chase like i was like i i you just like you can't see it at home but i'm squealing you know like shaking my hands gotta go oh my god i can't believe he's doing that and just getting so excited by it um and here i I think maybe my point about the early review and the divisiveness of wes anderson at this point is i get it as well like i get that he lives in, you know, I think the, the aesthetic that his people have been uh, banding around with him is the doll diorama. He, he makes doll houses, uh, around, you know, that are they're entirely his world. And you're either into it or not, really, you know, at this point. And I think the Burton comparison is an interesting one because I see the point that you're making there. And in fact, where you're discussing Burton in relation to Anderson uh, makes sense to me, except for the fact that I think... Where Burton's films have gone is that they are unemotionally resonant for me, and they they feel just empty. They they also feel um, uh, tired, you know. Like for the for the most part, the the later uh, Burton films feel very tired to me, um, which is I think is what your kind of response is to this. The 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 only thing I can say to that is that my the emotional register of experience that I was having with this movie was profoundly deep. Where I was actually like. There's a scene in this movie. Uh, well, first off, I think in the in the first in the first story uh, with Benicio del Toro and Tilda Swinton and uh, Leah Sido, uh, I found that just beautiful. The, the the sort of Anderson is kind of firing little nuggets of story at you every few minutes, and at 
at first you're kind of going, oh, this is just, you know, he's just rattling off things. But the more I kind of watched it and the more that it was embedded within del Toro's performance and Leah, and Leah Sado's performance, which is this sort of flat registered 2D image of a woman who, who says, I don't love you and I, you know, I, I won't, uh, to, Bene- uh, to Moses's character. I found that so, so profoundly moving, especially like little details that came later that, that you know, like, for example, that she, um, we're getting into sort of spoilers now, but this, this movie is a, is a narrative descriptor of spoilers. Like there's just information being barreled at you. But at some point you realize, uh, so just to go to circle back, uh, Benicio Del Toro plays a prisoner who is at a, at a, uh, at a high security prison for uh, the mentally deranged and murderers. Uh, and it turns out to be uh, a prophet of modern art whom Adrian Brody uh, uh, recognizes and decides to purchase his work and promote it as though uh, and create a new uh, a new superstar of the art world. Uh, and he paints his prison guard, Leah Sudo. Um, uh, and, and there's a sort of wonderful, delightful story of Adrian Brody trying to pay him in order to uh, get these paintings out, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but there's a little detail that I love there, which is that uh, Leah Sudo, who plays his muse, ultimately doesn't love him, probably never will, but pushes him to do the work because she says that she has this monologue with him which says, you have this thing inside of you and you need to work it out and I'm going to help you do that, even though I am not going to be in love with you. And later in life, she basically earns the money from her stewardship of him and uses it to go to reunite with a child whom she had when she was younger and hadn't seen in many years and now just lives a, a quiet, wealthy life by herself and her son. And I just, I, like, I, there's, there's an emotional register to, like, hearing that little detail about this character that really kind of affected me. And um, it was the same in the... The, the moments in the second story, which is ultimately about the the kind of a ref, the riff on the May 68 protest in France uh, with Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand uh, playing respectively a, a student uh, who is instigating the protest. Uh, I think his name is Zeffirelli and uh, the journalist uh, Kremitz, uh, who's been documenting this, but also happens to be sleeping with him, um, where... Uh, he writes about he writes himself in his manifesto of the arc of he is an he is a uh, a star arc uh, hurtling towards infinity, and she is the one who kind of knowingly says he that's maybe what he's written, but he's actually not. He's a little he's a young man who died, and his his image got painted on T-shirts. And the last moments of that film are his parents driving to uh, to to identify his body, and it's just, there are moments like that throughout this thing that just profoundly affected me. And without going into too much detail, again, the Jeffrey Wright story shattered me. There's a moment in the middle of the Jeffrey Wright story, because Jeffrey Wright, again, and perhaps I'm coming at this with a little bit of knowledge of who he's supposed to be playing, which is James Baldwin. Um, and we did If Beale Street Could Talk on this podcast, and I read a lot of James Baldwin at the time. And so Baldwin writing about... Um, uh, his his experiences of being in Paris uh, on his own and what he had written about, knowing what he had written about that, uh, but also like having that articulated through right in this sort of fantastical way. Uh, there's a moment here where he is in the chicken coop and, and Bill Murray comes to conduct a job interview with him. And he is profoundly... Uh, there is so much humility on his face at this moment because he has nothing to offer, but Bill Murray is just willing to give him everything that he needs. I, I, I whipped at that because it was like just this idea of, you know, like being at the lowest moment in your life and 
this one hand comes out to reach out to you and offers you something. I, I, I found it beautiful. So all of that is to say, I found this movie deeply, deeply affecting. Not, and then to the sort of the cherry on the cake of it all was that the, the production design is just mind-blowing. This is a $25 million film. Uh, you know, it's not a huge budget movie, but every detail is thought out to the point where like um, some of them just feel throwaway. You know, there's a moment during the uh, during the the last story where a man gets thrown out of a plane and then lands and is continued to be interrogated. And it's like a one second shot. Um, and it's sort of like the most oddly designed shot. But it's at the same time, you sort of gasp when you see it. There's people shooting at walls and they've designed the holes on the walls to be stop motion so that when the, when the walls are, being, uh, are falling apart, it's all, they're actually falling apart in stop motion. And uh, just every inch of this film is, is, is so precisely, perfectly designed. I just, I found that, like, again, I was enraptured by this whole thing. I just thought it was so so wonderful and then at the same time deeply emotionally affecting you know what i mean so 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 i I get if it's not if it's not playing for you but it it's so played for me this would normally be the part of the podcast where i would try to challenge you because that i have a highly differing opinion of the film i do have a differing opinion of the film but it's only because i didn't get any of those emotional resonance spots and that's not this, oh, this brings up an interesting, an interesting thing. Yeah, I was just about to say something that I believe, and now I want to dissect why I uh, why I believe it because I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not the film's fault that I didn't get those experiences. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think there's like a, there, there are the, movies where I'm like, no, fuck you, I could have seen the thing because it could have been like this, and like yeah. that would have worked because like this and the other thing, like and and. I go back to, you know what? I hate to do this. No, I don't. I'm going to tie it back to Elden Ring, baby. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> so so Elden Ring has been getting a lot. It's a video game for everyone who doesn't know. It's a video game from From Software, the makers of Dark Souls. It's a very, it's like the next elevation of a very specific tile of, uh, style of gameplay uh, where death is like a core loop. It's basically like you're going to die a bunch, but it's so you sort of learn to uh, actually play the game better as opposed to just like num- number go up. And I really like that. It's not for everyone, but as you've noticed in social media, if you've been paying attention, it's it's kind of all over the place. I think it sold 12 million copies in its first week, which is kind of nuts for that game. Mm-hmm. I think Dark Souls 3 didn't, uh, I only did like 4 million. Um, so like, meaning a lot of new people are going into this game and genre and a lot of people are loving it. And a lot of people are getting frustrated being like, what the fuck is this garbage? Like I walk out of the place and there's a guy in a horse thing. And the first thing I go to, and I die a hundred times, it's like the game's trying to teach you to not go to the horse guy. Now, again, I don't think that Elden Ring or the Soulsborne games or anything like that are for anybody, but I also for everybody. But I also don't blame the game for that, much like I don't blame this movie for not being emotionally resonant with me. I can see the I can see the craft and the skill in this film. Like it's there. I, 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 from a from a purely analytical standpoint, this movie is a masterpiece. Um the, the the things that Shahir said, the production value for the twenty five million is absolutely insane. Nothing is out of place. It is exactly what Wes Anderson wanted to make, or at least it feels that way. Mm-hmm. 
the actors seem to be all um, playing their parts to perfection. But again, I think I go back to it's it's the it's the implementation of that style that I just don't resonate with anymore. The the actors, great actors, all are all kind of talking in the same cadence and just sort of like it's this it it everything for me feels the same even though the world is so fantastical which makes that divide even farther for me and 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 I don't I don't have the I have no desire to disparage this film. Mm. I really don't. Like, and that's hard for me, or rare <laughs> for me, not hard. I, I feel like normally I'm like, ah, fuck this thing. <laughs> this is not that. Like, I I just I, I think it's okay for masterpieces to not please or even emotionally affect everyone. Yeah. Um I if if everything that was considered the greatest thing or some of the greatest things on whatever arbitrary top 10 list you want to do, right? If those were the only things that sort of like, if, if it, that was the same across the board for everyone, we would have, we'd be super fucking bored. Yeah, like, and, and I think also if we, if we, if we advocated for the list kind of system approach to, to filmmaking, we, we even discussed this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, was that the middle ground films are the ones that win in that process, right? The ones yeah, that right, please right, the most, voting. you know, like are the ones that win in that process. Not the not the, not the the ambitious or the, the ones that take the most risks, the middle ground films that like nobody cares about. Those are yeah. the ones that win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, oftentimes. I mean, you know, we get the exception to the rule. I mean, I, I think... Again, I think my fa- my one of my favorite Oscar moments in the last couple of years was Parasite winning. Right. Like yeah. that that felt special and correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm my... just saying, just that if we in in response to the kind of thing you said, which is that if we all like the same thing, we probably would get a diluted sense yes. of what is possible. Yep. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree with your summation of what I just. Said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, again, like the. It's funny, you know. I remember you saying that there was a moment um, in in that third story from Jeffrey Wright yeah. from Robot Robot Wright, Robot Wright yeah. um, that resonated with you. And when I was watching it, I was like, "Ooh, I bet you I know what it is." And it was not that. Oh, what you? What 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 was? I the, yeah. I thought it was the moment when he turns to the camera mid interview and he talks about the act of eating a meal by himself. I, I actually was going to bring that up because I, um, so a couple of things. One is that uh, my, for the last year, I've been trying to reignite my love for uh, reading like print magazines. and like He's holding one up. He's holding Wes Anderson I'm, magazine uh, up on I'm, Sight and Sound. I'm holding up a Sight and Sound, which has Wes Anderson in it. And, and I've been trying to reignite my love for uh, reading magazines end to end. And, and so I guess part of maybe why I responded to this as well is I, I I'm I'm not sure if this is the case, but I'm getting a sense that maybe you haven't or you, you don't read the New Yorker magazine or like I do not subscribe. Jamie does, and I do read them when they're on her coffee table. I right. don't read them cover to cover. Um yeah. and I like this is the thing. Like if I were to read magazines, I would read the New Yorker. Yeah, the New Yorker is great. And I and I think what I what I loved about the film was the way in which it captured the experience of reading the New Yorker magazine, which is that it was it was uh, like like de- delving into each of these individual stories, finishing one and then going, okay, what's the next one? And it's a completely different story, you know, a completely different type of story, a completely different style of story. All you know, again, in, in I think it's the case in the New Yorker, celebrating the written word. 
uh, you know, the power of the, you know, just the, the beauty of the written word. And, you know, Anderson himself, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so th- there's a couple interesting things, which is that uh, maybe this is the thing that annoyed people the most about this movie was that the New Yorker magazine voted it as its favorite movie of the year. <laughs> and it was like, That's and it was, uh, uh, and people, people kind of equated it to that moment in Hot Fuzz where, uh, where um, uh, I can't, um, Timothy Dalton's character points to employee of the month um, on the wall and it's a picture right. of himself. And, you know, like people equated the New Yorker saying that the French Dispatch is its favorite movie of the year because it's about the New Yorker magazine or it's, you know, based lovingly towards the New Yorker sure. magazine uh, was kind of, you know, like perhaps the most, in, you know, self-indulgent moment. But I, I genuinely felt it captured that that sort of beauty of this. And um, when Jeffrey Wright's character, Roebuck Wright, turns to the camera to describe what it's like eating alone, I did love that moment as well because that you know we've traveled for work and i whenever i travel alone for work particularly if i'm going overseas one of my favorite things on the planet to do is to go to a restaurant by myself and sit and read a magazine or sit and read a book or or people watch or even just play on my phone you know like anything but i love going to restaurants by myself i i it's like it is honestly one of my favorite things on the planet to do um i love being in a new city and i loved and and he and right in this moment captures it so perfectly and um, James Baldwin in uh, an essay, Equal in Paris, uh, which I think a lot of the story, well, a lot of the style of writing is kind of based on, kind of talks about that. But I, in this uh, in this Sight and Sound magazine that I held up a few minutes ago, uh, Anderson kind of talks about it in this way as well. Uh, he says, uh, there's a scene where Jeffrey Wright, uh, where he's going out, uh, talks about going out to dine by himself and of being a foreigner. The choice of going back to your room or going out and sitting alone at your table. I've had that experience and it's sort of, in a way, a bigger thing just than just having your dinner. It's to do in some admittedly very modest way uh, with trying to make your life an adventure because you're living far away and beyond a world where you grew up. You're out in some whole new world and you're trying to sort of celebrate it. So I guess not strictly the most celebratory type of celebration when you have a sitting by a table by yourself, but it has its moments. And and I, I, I there is something to, for me, and, and you know I I know I might be alone on this, or um, but there's something magical about like being in a city by yourself and kind of smelling the smells and eating the food and sort of having your senses washed by something new, and and experiencing it by yourself. Um, so when he when he says that, I I love that. But the but. The moment that really hit me, and I think it was because I was feeling, I you know I've had a rough week. Oh, I've had a rough couple. of Fuck it, I've had a rough co- couple of years. Really, uh, what's been what's been wrong? Has there been stuff going on? <laughs> uh, you know, like, yeah, just stuff going on. Like I don't <laughs> breathe air very much. Um, <laughs> um, but but there's a moment where when Bill Murray's character recognizes him in the chicken coop and you know like it's it's a mirrored moment again because we're coming back he, you know he understands the chicken coop and the uh, the abacus is in the chicken coop william defoe's character and he and 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 jeffrey wright's character has been there before and he feels pity for the person who's in the chicken coop because he knows how bad it is and the reason he's been in the chicken coop which he alludes to was that he is a homosexual and he is a homosexual in paris who was uh, arrested uh while you know when someone asked uh, the the sort of uh, the dick cavett show style uh leave schreber character says why were you arrested and he says for love you know i was uh, people arrest you for love and that's why he was there and so he was at his lowest moment he had no money he writes to the editor of the french dispatch which is the only number he can mem- remember and 
Bill Murray's character comes to him. I think Hor- Horowitz is his name. Horowitz. Uh, and, no, uh, 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 Howitzer. 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 And and you know, like there's this sort of like recognition that you are a great writer. You're a good writer, and I will support you out of this. I will give you what you need in order to get out of the situation. And not only that, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna exploit you either. You know, like like he says, I'm gonna give you 500 francs to get out of this, minus 250 for the bail that I um, that I'm gonna pay for you. But I'm gonna give you an advance back of that 250, so you're gonna be okay. And like throughout the entire story, he's paying for his writers in like these weird like mathematical equations which make no sense like he says pay her $25 a week for the next 16 years you know like he just he loves writers and this 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 moment where you know he says to 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 Robuck right don't cry you know no crying and it's and and he can't help himself because it's just this moment where someone has reached down to help him and is this most beautiful recognition of help and i think this is kind of the difference between what Anderson is doing and what Burton in, you know, the later years with the Alice in Wonderlands, the the Dumbos, that kind of thing, which those films feel emotionally empty to me, Mm -hmm. which is that the budgets have gotten bigger. The, the branding of Burton has gotten, you know, more so uh, extra, you know, like elevated unto itself. Anderson lives in Paris, writes these stories, makes these films for $25 million, you know, uh, works on one, goes to the next, employs like a thousand different techniques. People come back and, and, and nobody is asking for a movie that is a love letter to the New Yorker magazine, right? Like that is not a commercially viable property. Sure. But it's, it's just something that he is particularly interested in and he loves. And I think the difference is, like um, Jeffrey Wright says in that moment as James Baldwin, People will punish you for love. And it's, it's, he loves this stuff. Like, he loves these writers. He loves these characters. He loves the world that he built. He does everything. The, the, there's a sort of a sweat equity on display here in terms of, like, the love that is on screen for these things. These aren't detailed in a way that, like, that, I mean, there is a showiness to it all. There's a performative quality, obviously, because he, he's, he's a, you know, a particularly well-versed cinephile. But it's also, like, it's love, you know. Like, it, like I, I just get, I, I, I'm, I'm giddy with this movie. I will say, I did uh, one thing. Um, I remember enjoying in the moment was when the stories themselves would have splashes of color, like it cut to being in color oh, as opposed God, to black yeah. and white. And it all, you know, I mean, like, it goes like, back. Yeah. I think it goes back to. I mean, you could interpret that in a couple different ways, but the way I was looking at it is like, oh, these are either things that they love, like the people that we're talking about actually love, or a moment where they have felt love, or if there was something like the moments in your life where like the shitboxness of it like flashes away for five seconds and you're like, oh, 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 it's gone. Yeah. Like, and like, and you know, I, I, again, I see the technique. Yeah. I like the technique. It's just, it's, it's, it's a malay. This is not the correct term, but I can't think of a better one. It's a malaise of whimsy. Like too much whimsy I, for you. <laughs> I'm just, it's just like, but like the same dulcet tone one note whimsy and i'm like that, that, that's not to say the story is not deep but it's not being t- told or presented to me in a deep way or at least the way that i can the way that i emotionally interact with characters on a screen because i agree with everything you're saying these the moments are there mm. it's just can you latch onto it or not and that goes back to clown mask or cinema <laughs> clown, Cine clown? Cine clown. <laughs> Like what they were saying on their IMDb review. It's like, yeah. And, I, and this is the thing. I get it. I totally get it. And I and I don't want to. I don't want to 
I don't want to be pushing paprika. my opinion no, no, no. of why this, I love this movie as no. to be like why everyone should love this Listen, movie. Listen, your your description and everything you've said about this film has been far more entertaining than me. <laughs> I'm sa- I, I'm just kind of trying to walk through why I, I, I can see the quality but not have the 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 feels for it. And I, I go back to this. I, I love the spice paprika. I think it's my favorite spice. <laughs> I do not want to eat a handful of paprika. Like, I would love it. If I would love, oh my God, Shahir, I would love if Wes Anderson would go back and do another film like the Royal Tenenbaums. Because that's when he was taking his unique style and still couching it around other film techniques that like that I I, I can emotionally relate to. Hmm. Um it's funny because the, the the royal tan like a, a friend of mine who was texting me today who said I haven't watched the Roy- a lot of Wes Anderson films. Where should I start? And I was like, look, I, you know, his style isn't for everyone, be- and it's not because his style is difficult. In fact, I think he's like he, it's super he, easy. He's like it's all performance, you know. Like yeah. it is, it, he's like he's putting on a show for you. Mm-hmm. It's not. It, it is. It, there's no like you must come to the theater and 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 like endure me. It's like he is singing and dancing for yeah. you for every yep, yep, yep. quarter you throw at him. Um, but but Tannenbaum's was the one that I didn't emotionally uh, resonate with, though it does have, I like. There was a weird thing with me, which is that I saw Rushmore. I went to see Bottle Rocket afterwards. I went to see, uh, you know, which had come out before that. I saw his short films. I was obsessed with them at that point because, you know, because Rushmore was so formative for me. And uh, Royal Tannenbaums has like one of these moments that I think is like probably the most profoundly affecting moments. uh, And that is um, when uh the luke wilson character tries to commit suicide and they play uh mm-hmm. needle in the hay uh i can't remember the artist's name but the artist whose music scored that um who also scored goodwill hunting uh committed suicide a few years later i think as well or maybe around the same time and so there was like this i think for a lot of people and i agree that movie really hits um you know, Ben Ben Stiller at the end of that saying it's been a hard year. Uh, really, it, it's it's, and and I think that's this thing that people uh, that that I feel like often gets overlooked in his movies is that there is a depth of humanity to the characters behind it all. Even in a film like The Fantastic Mr. Fox, you know, like there's this moment where the negotiation between being a wild animal and being domesticated comes to a head when when Foxy, uh, played by George Clooney, is standing and he sees a wolf over the horizon and they both put their fists up at each other saying, you know, like, I get it. You know, we, we're, we are one. And I think there's a depth to his characters, again, that he genuinely loves and that I... I love back now, you know, like, again, not everything works for me, you know, like some films don't quite register for me in, in that same way, but I, you know, like, and I, I think I love, for me, Isle of Dogs was a little bit of a misstep, but I still, you know, he's going to get my money every time. And then, and, and I just, there's a thing here, which is that the technique on display in terms of the scene to scene, in terms of, I guess the employment of scene to scene, um, techniques was so wild here. I, th- I felt like this was his most formally evolved film. You know, like he'd basically taken everything that he'd done in stop motion, which allowed him a degree of precision, and applied it to live action, which, I you know, again, he'd done in the Grand Budapest Hotel, but not to this level of precision and, like, to this wilder degree. Uh, the thing you were talking about with colors 
it goes with aspect ratios and, 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 you know, he just basically goes, what's an idea, what's a style we could play? You know, at one moment they sort of freeze people in time and track along with them with these sort of like beautiful tracking shots where it's clear that people are just holding their position. So they're sort of shaking. There's a sort of handmade quality to it. But, um, uh, like for example, in the Jeffrey Wright story, the kid who is kidnapped is, uh, you know, he says to, um, the actress, who I believe is Shor Cerrone. I can't, I can't, I couldn't quite tell. I, I think it was her. Um, you know, what color are your eyes? And the whole film has been in black and white up until that point. And she bends down to look at him through through the um, uh, uh, through this little uh, um, divider. Mm-hmm. And the film goes into color because she has these piercing blue eyes. And the moment just kind of hits you because of the color. You know, you're just like, oh, my God. Um, oh, it's so... And, and I, I feel like I'm just rattling off lists here. But, like, when Stephen Park's character says... Uh, the radishes had a taste to them, you know, like a salty, pickly uh, rind. He says, and he says, I haven't tasted something new in a long time. And then they have this conversation about what they're missing about not being at home. I was, I was, I was just like, I, again, I squirmed. I, I was like, I was gleefully. And it, it kind of reminds me of the way that he's talking about food in this movie. Like the way Jeffrey Wright is talking about the, the delightfulness of this cafe's food. You just sort of go, I don't know how you put this together. There is a kind of magic to all of this. And for me, it just lands, you know, like <laughs> in, in every way possible. I said it, uh, I said it at the end of the year, if we had done this film for 2021, I think it would be, I'd be hard pressed to say this wasn't my film, favorite film of 2021. Like this was this was without a doubt the most Shahir movie you could watch in twenty twenty one. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. Listen, <laughs> I literally, ha- I I think this might be maybe the episode of the podcast where I've said the least. But I'm, also, I'm so sorry. I, no, no, no. I'm happy to do so. Look, what's more fun? Me coming on here for an hour and being like, it's good, but I didn't like it, or like you telling us all of these very true and emotionally resonant moments that this film actually had with you like that to me this conversation this conversation is <laughs> not the a best conversation thing I- it's just me <laughs> <laughs> me listening to the podcast you is doing is the best experience i had with this movie so like hooray we did it we did the thing we did the thing i'm uh, so sorry <laughs> this has been the only podcast about the film the french the french dispatch oh boy I promise next week, everybody, I will. I will have more. I'll have more in the it. tank. I get it. I get it as well. Like I, I, I can see why. It's like your. Uh, I there was a screen rant about like uh, there was an honest trailer about every Wes Anderson film, and they were like, uh, "It's your baristas. It's your coffee bar. Your tattooed coffee barista's favorite director." Is you know like it's it's, it's that yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shahir, when you are not serving me up a, a double chai latte with oat milk, where can <laughs> folks find you? Uh, you can find me drip brewing uh, that coffee with the fine grind at my website www.shahirdaud.com. S H A H I R D A U D. Matt, when you are atten- not attending my TED talk on Wes Anderson, where can people find you? You can find me over at my website, which I think might lapse soon. I keep getting notices, and I'm yeah. debating if I should keep it or not because it's expensive and I don't do anything with it. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works. We're doing over an extra credits. We just released, as I mentioned last time, but it'll be out by the time you listen to this, 
the first episode of the history of beer. I've been drinking a beer, uh, one that we talk about eventually, not an Ep1, uh, while we did this podcast. I've been drinking a Sapporo. Um, nice. uh, but we talk about beer since the Neolithic period. Uh, it's going to be five episodes. It's super, super fun. And uh, speaking of sort of uh, cultural understanding and being a stranger, even uh, either at home or abroad, uh, previously to that, we released uh, on the day of this recording um, – a episode of So You Haven't Read on the uh, comic book Persepolis. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I, I have read Persepolis. And uh, it, that is such, it was one of my favorite ones to do in a while. Our, our artist, Jordan Martin, uh, actually employed the, the black and white style and sort of mixed her style with our bean art style. And it's, it's very, very cool. Uh, so please go check out those things. Next week, again, not Sunday at 5.30, Monday probably at, I don't know. Whatever, like whatever we finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll bite the bullet and I'll stay up and rec- and and do the work. Um, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're gonna talk about those movies. Oh, have you watched them all yet? No, I got three left. I got, I got Belfast left. That's the only one. I, if I hadn't watched uh, the French Dispatch three times over, uh, which Jesus. I believe, just by the way, I don't think the French Dispatch got nominated for anything. I'm just gonna. Huh. Uh, did it get, there was sort of a complete shutout. Um, I don't know. Um, (laughs) yeah, well, we got one more to go. We're going to talk through those films as well as respond to what the Oscars did. Um, hopefully give a little bit of love to the editors and, uh, short films and script design, uh, uh, script, right. Whatever else got left out. We will try to talk about those things. We know Uh, what you did, Oscars. (laughs) We know what you did. Um, yeah, Yeah. it's, uh, Yeah. Everybody, email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Did you fall into Shahir's love affair uh, of this movie like like he did? Or were you uh, <laughs> too busy to care playing Elden Ring? I don't know. <laughs> I, again, were I you got, playing I, Elden Ring while you watched the movie? God, no. I, look, no, 100%. <laughs> Shahir, I will say this. I... I am a, a purist when it comes to watching movies, even ones that I do not click with. I will sit down. I will not pick up my phone. I will not do it even at home. I would not, could not, green eggs <laughs> and ham, whatever. Uh, I just, yeah, I won't. So, no, it had my undivided attention. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, we will talk at you next week. And until then, do you like Wes Anderson? Oh, boy. I think we've established I do. But do you? I wasn't asking you. I wasn't asking <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.